This is Gil Manser. Welcome you to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. You might remember the jump rope rhyme, rich man, poor man, baker man, thief, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. And regular listeners to Word by Word know that I've had conversations with writers who are rich and poor, begged and stole, heal people, defend people, and serve as chairman of a local Native American tribe. But I have never had a celebrity chef as my guest until today. When our conversation is with Kat Cora, the first and only female Iron Chef America, and author of her very frank autobiography, Cooking as Fast as I Can, A Chef's Story of Family, Food, and Forgiveness. Kat Cora, I want to welcome you to Word by Word. Thank you, Gil. I appreciate it. Big, long-time listener of NPR. Thank you. Kat, I must tell you that I was very surprised as I read your book. My expectation was that you'd acquired your cooking skills at the knee of a parent or grandparent or, you know, loving aunt or uncle. And that uh, I quickly discovered that despite what it says in your online biography, you didn't grow up in a kitchen. In fact, um, the, the, the line that it says that you talk about in your book is, from a long line of chefs, she grew up in a family of restaurant tourists in Jackson, Mississippi. But I discovered, no matter what it says online, don't trust it, right? Oh, the Wikipedia, right. That's yeah. right, because your mother was a registered nurse and your father was a high school history teacher. Now, they cooked. They cooked, they, yes. They cooked, he cooked Greek because that was his background. Yep. And she cooked Southern because that was her background. And well, then... A little bit of both. My, actually, um, I grew up... My, my grandfather, who I did not know, was a Greek restaurateur, had cafes and diners. Right. My godfather, who I knew... Um, and I you did, worked with him, didn't I you? I did, and I yeah. spent time in his kitchens. Now, my dad was a grill meister. He was the one who smoked the meats, marinated the meats, grilled all the meats, and he taught me that. And he did cook great shrimp pilafs and things, and, and, and his stuffed peppers were amazing. And my mother, um, a registered nurse, he was a public school teacher, registered nurse, was an Air Force brat. So she had lived in Honolulu, Tokyo, kind of all over the world, as well as my grandmother. And so they really what we call global now, um, we used to call it continental. Right. It's called global now. They cooked a lot of various dishes. And so they were phenomenal cooks. And I did grow up with all of these amazing cooks around me. So although I didn't grow up, I did spend some time with my godfather in his kitchen, but I did grow up just learning from Greek-American and Southern, these two really rich cuisines, how to cook. Right. And how to love food. But the funny part about your book is it isn't until about page 60 or 62 that you really say, I'm going to be a chef. Right. Well, yeah. you're right. I, I spent a lot of time trying to find myself, as mm. many of us do. You still and, are, apparently, and still trying based to find on, myself. Well, on the last chapter. Absolutely. Yeah. Still trying to find myself in many ways. Um, and I think, that's a, I think that's a lifelong road. Um, we're always evolving as human beings, and I think that's kind of a lifelong uh, journey, if you will. Um, but... Yes, I think it was about when I was 15 that I really said, I absolutely am in love with cooking. Not just I want to cook, I want to do tea parties, I want to bake in my bake, my easy bake oven, right. but that I really want to pursue a life in, in the restaurant industry, in, mm-hmm. the, in the food industry. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you tried different things, though. So, in fact, one of the I don't know I don't know how to present this. Basically, you've done a chronological mm-hmm. presentation. Correct. I was born. Mm-hmm. I was put up for adoption. Right. I was adopted, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think you need to have our listeners know a little bit about the town where you were raised, because it's not what we we'll, what we call West County, meaning right. Northern California. Correct. Well, I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, which is the capital of Mississippi, and um, and it really was. Uh, it's a, it's somewhat of a it's a thriving city. I mean, it's really uh, it's not the Delta of Mississippi where the cotton fields are and where we. Uh, that's very rural. Really, I did grow up in a, a suburb, um, Swan Lake Drive, 230 Swan Lake Drive in Jackson, Mississippi, on the south side of town, on the other side of the tracks. And, you know, like a lot of cities, the south side is a, a little, you know, it's a little economical, lower income. North side is higher income, bigger houses. And we grew, I grew up, um, I'm, again, not with a lot of money, but a lot of love and a lot of two great parents that adopted me when I was 10 days old. And, um, and my name was Melanie at the time. But uh, you, then, were, you were identified as Melanie when you in the were adoption in the agency. agency right. You know, when babies come in, the nurses who are wonderful, they they name the baby. You know, they name them and give them a name and give them a, an individuality. And it was, it was, I think it's a wonderful, I think it's a wonderful part of my story that, um, you know, even though my, my birth mother, who was also from Greenwood, Mississippi, mm-hmm. uh, at the time grew up in Greenwood, Mississippi, which is considered the Delta. Um, and my father's from Greenville. So all of that area is where Blues was born and, you know, uh, all of that rich, good food that we think of as Southern cuisine was really born there. And um, and then I grew up kind of, you know, up the road in Jackson. So, right. Yep. Well, you got in touch with your mother quite a while mother, later, yeah. your birth mother. And uh, with the help of your mother, mm-hmm. who had been receiving letters because there'd been some, you know, communication about she was interested and they were interested for you, but they wanted to wait till you were 18 and then decided 21, I think, was the age. when they Right. Yeah, I was it. a little uh, rowdy at 18. <laughs> I think she said politely that you were busy. I was yes. busy, yes. yes. Well, we do that in the South. We say, bless her heart. Right. She's busy. She's busy. Um, but and yes. when you met your mom, um, you said that it was an immediate bond. Mm-hmm. It was. That you looked alike. You had some of the same mannerisms, mm-hmm. same speech patterns, which I find is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then I think the thing that surprised me, tell us about what happened to her and why, how she had been when she became pregnant at 15, I mm-hmm. believe. You 16, said she yep. was 16. Well, she had you at 16. 16, but, right. Yeah. Yep. And um, what happened to her? Do you remember? Well, I just know her story from spending a lot of time. I mean, we're really close now. We talk every Sunday. Like I would, I talk to my mom, and um, I, know I have a whole another extended family that came with her, which was wonderful. And uh, you know what her story is is really, um, it was wonderful for me because she really took care of me while you know while she was pregnant. And but for herself, it was a rough story. It was a, a story that I'm sure that other women who grew up who were unwed mothers who grew up in the South um, in the '60s experienced as well. Um, she was uh, first of all, first of all, it was the first time she'd had sex um, with her with a drummer. By with the way, with a drummer. Yes, the with musicians the in our listening audience uh-huh. will yeah. understand that. 
a wild kind of a wild wild guy who was uh Ralph who's who is my birth father um who I've never met and um he was a drummer kind of wild long hair you know and long hair that day was a pompadour kind of thing it wasn't oh, yeah. long hair lots we of, know lots of gel in gel it. and yeah, things yeah. and uh he was in college so it was really she was 15 and he was 19 20 and um she got pregnant and her father um, her parents were, of course, uh, you know, just beside themselves and sent her away to New Orleans to an unwed mother's home. And, and uh, you know, again, the, they, people were not kind to unwed mothers at the time. It wasn't like today. You know, it was very taboo. It was very looked down upon. You were, you were um, somewhat, uh, you know, an outcast if you became pregnant. And so they were not she – was, she was treated fairly – they were all treated fairly roughly, right. you know, there. This is and 67. 67. And yeah. a lot of hard, hard labor, um, you know, as far as working conditions. And um, they were giving, given. And um, then she, when she was ready to have me, they brought her back uh, to Greenville. And she had me in the hallway of a hospital. Right, because all the maternity rooms were full. They were full. Yeah. And so she was on a gurney and in extreme pain. Mm. And this six, 16-year-old alone. Um, and, uh, by the grace of God, this, um, um, African-American, um, uh, nurse, or she was actually a, um, uh, practical nurse, practical nurse came right. through and saw her in so much pain on the gurney out in the middle of the hallway that she, uh, back in the, back in those days, you know, you could, they'd wrap you really tight right, around your right. stomach and push and actually wrapped her stomach while no one, you know, was kind of everybody was busy doing a, you know, hospital is running around and wrapped her stomach and pushed me out hmm. right on the right right out in the middle of the hallway and 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 took her out of pain and delivered me and thank God wrapped me up handed her to me and kind of got out of there because that wasn't really what she was supposed to be doing but she saw this child in so much pain alone mm-hmm. um, and that's how I was born in the middle of a hallway on a gurney right. And then what happened, I think one of the most fascinating parts of your story is that having met your mom, you found out that she actually went back mm-hmm. to get you back about a month later. She did. She yeah. uh, she um, ran away from home and, uh, you know, had, she just complete tenacity. I mean, just amazing. Like, de- you know, that's the strength of the bond between a mother and a child, you know, Um Hopped on a Greyhound bus, went to the adoption agency, banged down the door, demanded to have her baby back, and they called the police and they called her. Well, they called her parents, who then, you know, had her came and got her. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that started a whole twenty-one year journey for her. And every single Christmas birthday that I had, she would write letters. She'd call the agency. Can I get a picture? Can I see her? Yeah. Can I get in touch with the parents? And they would say, honey, you you got to wait till she's 18. Um, you can send us letters. We'll keep them. And, but until she's 18, we can't do anything about it because it's, you know, it's a closed adoption, obviously. Right, right. And uh, this, every single year, she did not waver for 21 years. And it was amazing. Really, really. Strong personality. Strong person. She is a strong woman. Yeah. As strong. you are. Yes. Yes, reading your I have book. two strong mothers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just like your boys do. Yeah, thank you. The you were, I guess, the the influence when you were growing up is your mom was the 
um, sorry, but the, the really, really pusher, I guess, the one that made sure everything was done the right way and went, <laughs> got you up at early in the morning right. and gave you those famous mayonnaise and jam sandwiches, <laughs> oh which you write about with great fondness, <laughs> and that you would toss away because the mayonnaise would have turned into Ugh. hot Lunchbox. It was so gross. It was as hot as an easy pick uh, in, in, We're talking about Mississippi, the, yeah. That's right, in that very yeah. moist heat of Mississippi. That didn't, make, that didn't make it past the yellow bus garbage can. <laughs> no. <laughs> and that um, your dad had an interesting way of parenting mm -hmm. because uh, he would get out of you know school because he was teaching history and come home and sit in the recliner. And then you kids just had whatever you want to do, go play in the woods, you know, yep. run down to the creek. You know, take a ride, I assume, on the bus downtown. That yeah. was fair game as long as you were back in time for dinner. That's right. Yeah. When it turned, when it started getting dusk or, you know, my mom had a uh, a whistle. We were known around the whole lake <laughs> because she had a whistle. And she would come out on the front porch and she would blow that whistle about right. three times. Right. And you could hear it on the other side of the lake. And everybody's mom know, Cora kids, time to go home. That's Mom's right. blowing the whistle. I, fe I just went immediately in the past. My my mom had a uh, cowbell. She would oh, stand yeah. on the front porch. And, yeah. and the playground was, you know, about a block away, and we or the school was a block away, and we could hear it. Isn't that amazing, yeah. though? I mean, the way we grew up and, you know, us, you know, being latchkey kids and just, it was like Lord of the Flies. I mean, <laughs> it literally was. Whoa. We just went, uh, I mean, but just, we had our own world. Right. Like, you just, you, we had woods in the back. We had a lake that we would wreak havoc on we would you know go home and we would have the stove going and cook our own snacks i mean i can't even imagine letting loose my four boys right now and saying there you go come home from school and take care of yourself but that's how life was back then right. you know parents right. had to make a living and had to work hard and my parents were really hard working people and you know the wonderful part was my dad took over when summer started because he was a school teacher sure. and my mom's you know, we had three months off, you know, being a school teacher. And so he took over. Well, let's be realistic. Two and a half months. Two and a half months. Okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Two and a half months. You're yeah. right. Because, in, you know, but two and a half months where we would just, we'd go water skiing. And he, he kind of had to take the reins at that point because my mom was working full time. And we, we would have a blast with dad. Yeah. Dad would say, go, go have fun kids or let's go out, let's go in the boat. And yeah, he was, he was a one, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Wonderful it's interesting dad. to read the book, and as you go through it, I, I I'd like to hear how you put it together with your co-writer. So give us a little info on that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, really, first of all, it took it took a while. I mean, you're talking about I'm talking trying to put 48 years together in a book um, with some kind of flow to it, with some kind of idea. What what parts do I want to put in? What parts do I think are uh, going to be important to the book and really going to be central to the book and the theme and the message of the, you know that I wanted to get across as well, and uh, so I started out with just the big things that I could remember, and of course I had you know I have Karen Carbo who's a wonderful writer and she worked with me and then of course I had our, my editor Shannon Welch at Simon and Schuster Scribner who would say. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's a great story. Let's keep that. No, we don't really need that. I mean, you know, it was a real kind of, you know, trying to put together a book with, uh, you know, some kind of structure. And so I just started off with stories, you know, everything I could remember, things that I thought were really important to me that I wanted to, to put in there. Because, you know, this I see this as uh, this book is important because 
Um, I also wanted to leave a legacy for my kids and mm-hmm. my grandkids mm-hmm. and my great grandkids who may not ever meet me, you right. know. And um, so what did I want to put in the book? So that's where we started. It's just really the big stories. And then we started filling in kind of the smaller details, things that I could remember. And the more that I put on paper, the more I remembered. The more I, you know, I got out of my head and memory and onto paper, freed up memories. It just right. kind of flooded right. out. You know, the just kept flooding Prompted in. Prompted other thoughts. Prompted so many memories to yeah. just flood in. And so I'd be in the middle of a meeting and I'd have a thing, you know, I'd be listening, but I'd have a thought and I'd say, that story, you know, I remember that. <laughs> Something would prompt it. And I just started jotting down every, anytime I had a memory, jot it down, jot it down, jot it down and put it together. And then we just started filling in the blanks of, of each year. And, uh, and that's really, there was no scientific way I did it. It was really the way that it was the best for me and the most creative for me. Well, it is a very frank retelling of your life. Yes. Warts and all. A lot yes. of warts. I'm not sure if all the warts, but a lot of warts. A lot of warts. And I wonder if there were people who advised you along the way to not include certain things. Well, you know, this is a this really is a tell all about me. Mm-hmm. This was not meant to be a tell all or to hurt anyone else. This was really my story. You know, I except for one who has initials. Yes. 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 Which he doesn't have a say in it. <laughs> he no longer his his right to to have a say was long gone. But um, but there was you know but I, there was some protection around that person. You know there there's still connections and 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 people that not necessarily him but his parents, mm-hmm. other my 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 parents, other people that might be hurt. Right. If I were to put his identity out there, so um, so I was generous in that way. Um, to him. But there were, you know, I had to have, obviously, I needed to talk to my mom. I needed to talk to my wife. You know, I let her read the book well, and that, decide. The last if, section, you know, after the kids are coming. Yeah. Um, and we'll call it the um, the hot yoga incidences, the hot yogas, yes. you know, which per- continued on for years. Right. Um, was not an easy time for you mm-hmm. as a couple. No, it wasn't. And, you know, it's I, marriage is work. And when you have your beautiful children, and you have all this. Let's say that again. Different... Marriage is work. Marriage is work. Not marriage is work. Marriage, marriage is work. work. That's marriage right. Marriage dot is dot work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll really stress that. Marriage is work, and it's a day-to-day work. Right. And um, so I, I had to consult. I did want to consult people that were close to me, that I love, that I respect, um, past relationships who people that I still know. So, yes, there were definitely people that I, I wanted their input because there, this was not about trying to hurt somebody or tell somebody's story. This was to tell my story, and they happened to be a part of that. Right. You share that uh, you were sure you were a lesbian when you were six years old, and you, listening to Katy Perry's lyrics, kissed a girl and liked it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Right? Well, I think it was maybe four because uh, I oh, kind of threw. Were, okay, I'm going to go you're... back a little bit because I think I was really I had crushes on every single one of our babysitters too. So, oh, yeah. Oh, well, this was yeah. the same age I thought. Personally. Yeah, that yeah. was about the same. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, and then, um, but being living where you were in in Jackson, you had to have you got very very involved with all kinds of activities, and there's mm-hmm. a wonderful chapter in there where basically the word you know the fancy word for it is sublimation. But you handled your sexuality by being busy, yes, in physical activities. Mm-hmm. So you—I wasn't cheerleading. What was it called? A drill team, drill like team, dance team, dance team. Yes. And then you were um, a softball player, and you did um, mm-hmm. 
you actually ended up as a professional bodybuilder. Well, I wasn't quite professional, but I was a bodybuilder. <laughs> okay, a, a com- competitive <laughs> But I was body, competitive, competitive bodybuilder, body yes. Bodybuilder, right. So, yes, I continued to, you know, I really did. I've always, you know, um, had, an, you know, and I get a lot of that from my mom. My mom is a very driven woman. I'm, you know, I've, I kept busy by being involved and doing. And, um, you know, I, and I wanted to be involved. I wanted to do. But it was also part of it was, you're right. I think it, part of it was staying busy and staying kind of disconnected from really having to delve into that part of who I was um, and really being confused about it and not knowing at the time, obviously, that was not, it wasn't a subject that was talked about. You know, um, none of my friends that I knew of were gay, although I'm sure there were some, but you didn't talk about it. Um, And even though my parents had always been open-minded when we were young, they would tell us, you know, if any of you are, you know, gay or this or that, then, you know, you'll, We'll accept you and we'll love you, but it still wasn't talked about openly. Um, so there wasn't a place for me to, to come in and really bring – I didn't get a chance to tell people my first kiss and my first love. And um, and that was a sad – I felt really sad for my, my uh, young girl, my younger self for that reason. Because when you have your first kiss and you fall in love for the first time, that puppy love, you know, you you should be able to tell your best friend and your mom and you should be able to just – announce it at the, you know, at the top of a mountain. And it just doesn't happen for, it didn't happen for people like myself in the, in uh, those days, you know. Just Can didn't. you read uh, where you come out to your mom? I'll just preface it by saying I was on a terrible blind date mm-hmm. with another woman and at the time, and it ended very badly. Um, and she is out at a, at a party. And she's out at a dinner party with, right. with our family friends. Her and my father. So here we go. This is me calling my mom. I need to talk to you right now, I said. Hearing the urgency in my own voice caused me to start crying. Right now, she said. It can't wait. No, I said. Are you okay, she said. I'm not hurt. I'm okay. But no, I'm not okay. As the words left my mouth, I knew they made no sense. I went into my own bedroom and threw myself face down on my bed, waiting to hear the sound of the front door. I didn't have to wait long. What's going on, my mom said. She sat down on the edge of the bed, and I just cried out. I think I'm gay. I cried. I had no doubt that I was gay, but I impulsively added a think to soften the blow, both for my mom and for me. I never said anything remotely like this aloud, not even to Jordan. Well, she said, buying herself a little time, putting on her psychiatric nurse bedside manner. <laughs> How do you know? I went on a date with a girl tonight and I wanted it to be so good and it was so bad. What am I going to do? You're not going to worry about it at all, said my mom. I cried until my eyes were swollen shut, so relieved to be no longer alone in my secret. I didn't have to hide whom I attracted to, whom I liked a little, whom I loved, who one day would be my soulmate. After years of hiding out, but also worried what dad and grandma would say. Both of them were more traditional than my mom, and this was the deep south. Mississippi is one of the least progressive states when it comes to gay people. The state doesn't recognize same-sex marriages. Same-sex couples are not allowed to adopt. There are no laws against discrimination against gay people, and there is no hate crime legislation. On the night I came out to my mom, same-sex sexual activity was illegal and would remain so until 2003. I could have been arrested and tossed in jail for having dated Jordan. My mom rubbed my back until I stopped hiccuping, then called my dad to say she would see them at home. She sat on the edge of my bed, and we talked until I fell asleep, relieved that after hiding in my secret, the truth was out. Somewhere between then and the next day, she broke the news to each of them separately, 
And the response was weirdly identical. Doesn't matter. She's still our girl. Right. Oof. Still brings back the uh, the Oof. time, doesn't it? It yeah, does. It does. And the emotion. Yeah. Well, it's nice that you had such understanding parents. You talk about yeah. them as being the most liberal people you knew in the South. They were. They it was invited amazing. the gay couple from across the street over for dinner, and the the black people who they knew, yeah. you know, through work and other places to come home. And this was very, very strange. Very, very. And and um, you know, my parents when they were both in college and both still in school, and inviting. Um, the black friends over was also a really dangerous proposition proposition at that right, time in the right. South. Um, and unfortunately, uh, and I hate even saying this, they had to bring them through the back door. And at night. And at night. Yeah. Under the, under the darkness because yeah. uh, it was just too dangerous. There were people watching. There were people watching. Yeah. So they were very, very uh, just so open and so wonderful. And it took a lot of strength to be, to do that against so many others at the time who believed completely differently from them, who were just so um, against any of that. So for them to just, they were just such courageous and are courageous people. You really love them. Yeah. Well, that comes across in the book very strongly. Although you got mad at your mom, especially during those, you know, those yeah. Self-indulgent teenage years, because how dare she go off to college to get graduate degrees and leave us yes. for the you know the weekdays yeah. and only come home on weekends. You know, well, dad was, was fine, yeah. but you know. Well, she brought grandma in, which helped a lot because my, my this is your her her mother. This is her mother. Yes, and she and I were as thick as thieves. So her and I were best <laughs> friends, and we we and I was she was my ally a lot between my mom and I because you know my mom my mom was an intellectual. And I had the more creative side. And so I'd come home with this crazy hair, and I'd come home with my earrings pierced like five times. And she you was said very, something about, in addition to the earrings, you had something else on your, what did you call that? It was like an earring at the time. It huh. was like a ring, like a, a thing, a clip that you put on your ear. <laughs> Quite large just, then? It was. It's uh, like the African, you know, ones yeah, in the earlobes thing. Yeah, and, you know, and my mom just didn't get me, and I didn't get her. <laughs> Just, and I could just couldn't understand why she didn't get me, and she couldn't understand why I couldn't be a little more conservative. But see, and I don't a little mean, girl across the street, yeah. why, you know, it could be like yeah. that. Well, yeah, why I couldn't be a little more conservative in the way I dressed and acted. And, you know, I, I think that we both just so excelled in what we did, though. I mean, she went off and got her doctorate and, you know, with like a 4.8 or something crazy <laughs> that I couldn't understand. And I went off and did amazing things with cooking. But at the end, you know, we – you know, but when I became about 21 or 22, we we balanced each other out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She grew into me and I grew into her. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing because we... You survived the teens. We survived the teens. Yeah. Barely, but we did. <laughs> and my grandmother, I think, honestly, that was, a, that was a gift for my grandmother to come in, Alma, to come in at that time and take care of us with my father. It was hard not having my mom, but... Thank God I had her because she was just such a strong, wonderful, 
you know, part of our lives. And Who did the dishes and made your bed? She unraveled every <laughs> chore and every habit my mom had worked years to get us into. Yeah, the Army – Brat. was it Army? Yeah, Air Army Force. Br- Air, Air Force, Force Brat who went around and – had to know how to, you know. Oh, she taught us how to tuck the corners right. and fold our clothes and wash our clothes and wash the dishes and do chores and scrub toilets and mow the lawn and we did it all. I mean, I remember on Saturday mornings we could we could get up, we could make our little cinnamon toast or whatever and watch some cartoons, but we could not go out to play until the chores were done. And so when my grandmother came in. Honey, no, you know, let me do that. You go play. And she unraveled everything. <laughs> All right, grandma's it's much wonderful. to our yeah, much yeah. to our adoration right. for this woman who came in and did all these things for us. And she was wonderful. She lived ninety six years and just a wonderful part of my life that feels so blessed to have that. And um and then my mom came back and you know, it was uh yes, but there were there were moments. There were moments where, you know, we had that angst. This is good, yeah. This is a good time for a break. You are listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, where today's conversation is with Kat Cora, the first and only female Iron Chef America and author of her very frank autobiography, Cooking as Fast as I Can, as Chef's Story of Family, Food, and Forgiveness. In the previous half hour, Kat has shared some very intimate thoughts about her life experiences, her families, and, of course, about food. There's much more to come, so stay tuned to KRCBFM to hear much more from the first female Iron Chef. Okay, we were talking about your mom and being a teenager, and one of the things you did, um, one of the things that Air Force brats, Army brats, Navy brats learn is how to blend in wherever mm-hmm. they're placed. And one of the ways you blended in was to get a boyfriend. No, is this true? Yes, yes, I had many boyfriends. Well, I mean, you had one real boyfriend in one high real, school. yeah, one serious, really serious boyfriend, right? Who was a very nice guy, mm-hmm. and um, filled the the empty arm in public need. Correct, right? Yeah, and I kind of had, you know, there was a part of me that thought if I just if I just try hard enough, I can, you know, I can fall in love with him and I can be normal at the time because you have to understand this isn't today where being gay has become very the new norm and this was way back when you didn't even speak about being gay Mm -hmm. and I kept hoping and praying and that I would become normal that I'd become normal and uh, quote unquote unquote, I want to make that very clear quote unquote um, to the standards of what people thought were normal then and um, and he was so lovely and so patient and so wonderful and all these things. And and, um, and it just, you know, as we know, that's just not – we're not born that way. We're born, you know, in my opinion, we're born either gay, straight, or somewhere in between. Right. Well, everybody's somewhere on that somewhere, spectrum. Somewhere. Right? Yeah, there's a spectrum. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. So um, so we did. And I have, I have wonderful – memories of of him and um and so and 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 thank him so much it was was such a he was such a gift to be in my life and his family was uh as well and um but yeah it couldn't have been easy being with me right for a variety of reasons for a variety of reasons absolutely so the uh you go through high school um your mom i think she graduates finally about the time that Mm -hmm. you go on to college right yep and uh, so college was not – well, how am I going to put it? 
a smashing success. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just an okay student in college. I have to say, I you know, I I will tell you this. I I think I'm a like a I think I'm like a lot of creative, very creative minds where you get bored very easily in academia mm-hmm. unless it's something that really relate you can relate to and you right. really get passionate right. about. Like I was in culinary school because that changed drastically when I went to culinary school. And I was graduated with honors. We're going to talk about that yeah. first attempt. But at college, school, yeah. yes, I did graduate with a degree. I, I may, you know, I wasn't I wasn't an A student or even a B student, but I had a lot of fun in college. <laughs> I can say that, and um, and I met, you know, and I did. I, you know, I loved I loved wellness. I loved health and wellness. This was when it was just becoming. Well, with one major exception, apparently you discovered fast food too. Well, I was. I, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say I was healthy at the time, <laughs> but I was trying to be in this health and wellness field. I did actually um, work out every single day, but I also didn't eat the best diet. Being a college student because I right. had no money, right? You know, Taco Bell or places like that were really, you know, calories for the cheapest, cheapest calories you right. could buy. So. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a fun experience. We had, you know, part of the reason was New Orleans was just too darn close to college. They should have, you know. Was it about 45 minutes 45 away? 45 minutes away. About 45 wow, minutes that away. close. I didn't realize that. Yeah, okay. about, about, yeah. about an hour or so. But, um, so, yeah. <laughs> She's sitting there with a, <laughs> a grin that's wider than the room. I like, had fun. Yes, you did. I graduated. I, you're still remembering those with extreme fun. And that was right? important. That's right. You graduate and you have fun. So um, let's see. I'm trying to think of one of the things that turned your life around. I guess it would be working in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. You started in the front. I did. Waitress, uh, hostess, hostess, that kind of thing. bartender, yep. cocktail waitress. I mean, cocktail server. Now you would say today. Um, I had a myriad. Because you weren't old enough to be a waitress. You got yeah. I mean a cocktail maker. Were you a bartender? Yeah, I was too? a bartender. Oh, you were I was. Okay. Yeah, I was then. And uh, it, that did change my life. It, it changed my life drastically. It was one of those things that was so unexpected because I uh, wanted to go to Europe and backpack. I just graduated mm-hmm. um, and from college, and I wanted to go backpack across Europe. That had always been on my bucket list. And Can I um, stop there? Sure. Where did that idea come from? Because this, I mean, you talk about yeah. then and now. What is there about that age where backpacking across Europe just kind of appears out of nowhere someday and says, you know, that'd be, it could well, do, or across I, the United States? I even. think I always, I always had the, I always was a dreamer. I mean, I, you know, I think growing up in Mississippi and having, you know, hot summers and kind of sometimes just, you know, fending for yourself and kind of tending and, you know, kicking, kicking the dust and walking around and just trying to find something to do um, when your friends can't play. And I think at the time, I, I really, I started really, and I read a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I love to read. Mm-hmm. And so I read about all these faraway places. I also knew that we had relatives in Greece right. um, that still lived on an island called Scopolis. And I think that I really, from a very young age, had fantasized about really going out. I had wanderlust I, from a very young age. I really wanted to go out into the world. I wanted to see the world. That had always been something I dreamed about. I want to see Paris. I want to see, I want to go to Greece. I want to live in New York one day. I want to, I mean, so I had all of these dreams and, and, uh, and things that I wanted to do. And so I think that that wasn't something that was brand new for me. Um, but it was something I definitely knew I could do. And, um, I had a girlfriend at the time who I felt like, come on, let's go, you know, quit your job and let's go backpack across Europe. Why not? Buy a 
EuroPass yeah. and have a great buy time. Buy EuroRail and buy some backpacks and save some money, and we did. And that's exactly what we did. And that's, that's how I started working in the restaurant. Was to get money yeah. to go. A whole lot of cash, yeah. you know, yeah. waiting tables and bartending and just – Those tips. Oh, those tips were great. I won't tell the – Roll of cash you I walk out with. I won't mention this to the IRS. Don't listen to this. Yeah, IRS. don't listen to this. That was long. That was, I'm sure the statute <laughs> of limitations have run out. <laughs> um, so anyway, I you know, I started working. But when I was waiting tables, I would be back with my pad, my order pad, in the kitchen going, what's that? What are you doing there? What do you salt it? What's that herb? What's that ingredient? What do you have there? You know, I was just, and they would be calling me, Kat, you know, at the time, Kathy. Kathy, get out to your tables. You're, you got tables waiting on you. And I was just so fascinated by the kitchen. I couldn't get enough. And I would take, I would write recipes down, and I would take my wadded tips, and I'd go by the grocery store on the way home, and I would pick up everything to make that one dish mm-hmm. that I'd learn every day. And I would cook it for my parents and my family. And I'd say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And that's when my mom said, off the top of her head, you should go to culinary school. And at the time, this was way before the celebrity chef phenomenon was at least 20 years away, if yeah, not longer. Yeah. Well, there were a couple of books. So, yeah, there yeah, were. James Beard and Julia. Yeah, Child. there was yeah. Julia. And there was PBS, of course, which was great. Oh, yes. You had the Italian cooking show. And we the, had and Cooking the, Cajun. Yeah, that's right. We had the Galloping Gourmet. So yeah. we had, oh, we did that Galloping with, Gourmet. With the fillet stick. Yes, yeah. yes. Every time until he had the heart attack. Yeah, yeah. No, no more of those. So. Um, <laughs> Kale. Um, so no. <laughs> oh, no. Kale salads. Um, so, you know, we had that, and that was great. But the but food TV, other than PBS, had, didn't exist. None of that existed. So this was back. Um, and so I, uh, I said, wow, well, I've never thought of that. And I, I knew that I loved restaurants, and I knew that my – I admired my godfather who had restaurants so much. And uh, but, you know, it was still very blue-collar mm-hmm. in the restaurants. Um, even the best restaurants were blue-collar. You know, you were still a, a working blue-collar, you know, restaurant owner. Yeah. So that got me to thinking. And I, so I said, well, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go to Europe, and I'm going to backpack across Europe. And while I am, I'm going to check out as much as I can about food because, obviously, you're in Europe. You're in France. You're in, you know, gastronomic capitals. You're in Lyon. You're... And so that's what we did. And so that really started uh, really the juices flowing about wh- what I was going to do when I returned and thinking about culinary school. All right. I want you to just read, starting here, The Passion of My Greek Relatives. It's just a short paragraph, okay? And this is when you visit Greece and, and your dad had called ahead to let them know, you know, you were coming and make sure everything was all right. Is that right? That is Okay, just on the top right there, about one sentence down. So this is uh, in Greece. This is being in Greece and thinking about Greece. The passion my Greek relatives put into their food and the passion my southern family put into their food was the same. Good food served with care had the power to connect even people who didn't speak the same language. I was so moved by this that I felt a goal begin to materialize. Since I graduated from college, I'd felt at loose ends. But on the long flight home, I kept coming back to the same idea, that I might be able to make a living cooking, providing this kind of experience for others. Uh-huh. Ah. Ah. See? Ah. The aha moment. That was the aha moment. I you're think right. so, yeah. You're absolutely right. My mother had planted the seed. After Europe, I knew for a fact, when I was coming home, I knew for a fact this was my destiny. Right. It was just as clear as if somebody had just opened up 
the clouds and the sun shine through. It was just crystal clear. As you were going around and signing books at different places and people come up to you, do you flash back on that incident with Julia Child where you were the one with the book in hand waiting for oh, the yeah. autograph? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so – I absolutely. Every time I, – I think almost every time someone approaches me, it's just – it's it's there. It's kind of an aura around me that this was me, you know, starting out when that first book signing I'd ever been to in my life right. with the most famous woman on the planet – that cooked. Thanks to PBS. Thanks to PBS. Right. Julia Child, my, you know, someone I just looked up to so much. And she was right here in Natchez, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so I walked up, I, I stayed at the back of the line because I knew I might have a little bit more time with her. That was my strategy. And <laughs> I did. And I, I was shaking like a leaf. I mean, I had my book like this. And, and I was in so in awe of her. And she was exactly what you she was exactly what you expect she was just her she was so genuine this woman and so graceful and so gracious and I walked up and I told her my whole story in about two seconds you know as much time as I could because I knew that she only had a little bit of time and she sat me down she said come come over here and sit down next to me and she sat me down next to her and she began to tell me how um to be strong that when one, you know, in a, in a nutshell, that when one door closes, another will open, that you need to, you know, have strength out in there. It's a man's world, but don't you let them stop you. And you, um, I can see the passion that you have and, and basically told me exactly where to go to school. It was almost as if I was was. the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. She said, it's the Harvard of culinary schools. (laughs) That's a not a, not as good as not as good. not yeah. a very good impression, but the best I can do. Right, but you get the idea, and uh, I did. I I applied the next day, and um, she was just absolutely everything I'd hoped she'd be, and so um, that was her every single time. You know, the the few times I got to meet her, mm-hmm. that was her every single time, just paying it forward, paying it forward. Right, and you doing the same. I'm doing the same. Yeah. The next thing I guess is uh, significant in your cooking experience was the opportunity. You're working at, a, at another restaurant, and uh, one of your coworkers says, we should join this, sign up for this contest. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to cook um, venison sausage or something, something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. And a reindeer sausage. Some, I don't right. know, something strange. And you said, no, I don't think so. But you decided you could enter on your own. Yeah. So what did you cook? Do you remember? I do. I know exactly what I cooked. I cooked a crawfish and pecan stuffed uh, in spinach, stuffed pork pork tenderloin. Right. And uh, with a champagne toasted pecan sauce. What I like about this in this chapter is that didn't just happen. You didn't just wake up one morning and mm-hmm. say, I'm going to do that. You know, like they show on Iron Chef. Right. Oh, well, you have to cook, I don't know, yeah. toasted pecans and right. crayfish, right? right. And, oh, I'll do that. Yeah. Right? No, yep. that's not quite like that. Right. You spent a week, two weeks preparing different versions of it, mm-hmm. making sure that the sauce wasn't, you know, burned, burned butter, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, other things like that, that the pecans were toasted perfectly, perfectly, that everything was perfect. Yeah. Then you get to there and you find out there's a, a rather famous chef who's going to be the judge. Yes. And what I – which who is? Paul Prudhomme. Paul Prudhomme, who I assume people know again yes. from PBS is the, the Cajun cook. And, uh, you know, world-renowned for his 
expertise in palate. Mm-hmm. Now, what I want to know about this, because you didn't mention it, do they, you do a preparation when you present your dish, do you also do the oral description of why and how, in other words, set it up? For the judges? Well, in this situation, you do. But in this situation, it was actually a blind tasting. Ah. We weren't even, he didn't know who cooked what. He didn't know what. who cooked it. He didn't so know he couldn't cooked. put one with the other. Mm-mm. He couldn't be play favorites. He couldn't say, you know, I've got, he didn't know. And you were the only woman and in the And I was the group. only woman. <laughs> that's kind of a running a, theme in yes, my life. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I was the only woman and actually one of my, um, and, and and these were really heavy hitting at the time. These were really heavy hitting chefs in Mississippi, mm-hmm. and they were came from all over Mississippi. And these were guys that had had twenty, thirty years experience. And here's little old me who'd been cooking about four months in a commercial kitchen. <laughs> and I was like, but you Thank didn't God. tell them that. You didn't. I tell didn't them tell them that. that. No, I went to. I, like, I just got back from Europe. Just, you know I where know I how learned to do to, this. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. No, I, I I played it cool, but um, but it was just uh, it blew me away. I mean, it was and. Each time something like that happened, it was just one more validation that this is where I need to be doing. This is where I need to be. This is what I need to be doing. Yeah, but even when they put that uh, blue, white, and red ribbon with the medallion around mm-hmm. your neck, you thought maybe it was a re- runner-up prize. Well, I did at first. And they said, no, you won, like the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. What makes you want to be the runner-up, not the winner? What makes me want to be the runner-up? Or think I mean- you should be. Uh, well, at the time, I think it was just my lack of experience. I didn't know. It wasn't that I thought I should be. It just, I, I, I didn't know. I mean, I thought, can this be really happening? All these chefs that have been cooking for 20, 25 years. And it was just, you know, self-confidence, you know, still trying to get my, you know, I was a newbie. I was such a new chef. I was wet behind the ears. I didn't know what, I, I mean. You, I, you do know that theme, of course, runs through your whole book. Yes. 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 I'm not, yes. I, I didn't just mean this one instance. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, it probably goes back to um, my early days with yeah. sexual abuse. Yeah. That's a, it's still I'm, healing And, from and that. more than that is the reaction from your parents yeah. to it. You yeah. Know, and, the, and the family and those around you, your neighborhood. Instead mm-hmm. of, it's almost like the, you know, your mother who became pregnant, it's all her fault. Yeah. 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 It is. It's, I think when something like that happens, I mean, now we know so much more than we did and it's so much more talked about and there's mm-hmm. so much more education about sexual abuse. And, you know, I think the time that just was, I think people wanted to normalize as much as possible. Let's normalize this. Okay. It happened. We're shocked. We're, we're saddened. It's tragic, but let's now, okay, now that we know and it's over, we can just go back to normal and we can just push it under the carpet. And, you know, I think that now, thank God, we are having more conversations. But I was hoping that through telling my story, it would open up more conversations about sexual abuse because I still don't think there's enough. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to prepare our children to protect their bodies and mm-hmm. how to navigate, give them tools to navigate that and how to have a voice um, and, st- and not wait until it happens, to, but have preventative measures. We do with our children. I mean, that's something that for me, because of what happened to me and my experience and the long road. And a huge number of women who had things huge number. as children, yeah. And, um, and some men, too. And, and men, yeah. But it's a huge road to recovery and to really heal and be whole again. And I'm still not there. Um, I'm, be- I'm much better. I've had a lot of healing. I've worked through therapy. But this is where we need to be having conversations with our children, as hard as it is, as painful as it is, as embarrassing as it might be, to talk about how you defend yourself, how do you 
protect your body and how you have a voice and that give them the ability to come and tell you and not um, be ashamed of that. Let them, you know, so I think that there needs to be so many more conversations. We've got to protect our kids out there. Right. Now, you have several organizations that you're involved with and founded um, where food is important. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you see yourself as being an advocate for more education about child abuse? You know, it's interesting. I did not until I feel like I've become an advocate through this book. Mm-hmm. This book has been a gift to tell me that, you know, I have a voice to talk about this and I have an experience that, you know, I want to um, to really help parents, you know, help their children. Right. And it's it's amazing because that you say that because I I didn't feel that way until I wrote this book and I went on book tour. Mm-hmm. And it's become, so this was not a conscious choice ahead of time before no, the book came out? No, it's been something that literally in these last few months or a couple of months, hasn't even been that long, where I have, it's really been something that has come to the forefront. Um, every single time I do an interview, people really want to talk about it because they, I, because I think everyone in our country, you either know someone who's been affected by sexual abuse or you have yourself. Right. Somebody has been affected by it in some way, shape, or form, even if it's a neighbor whose mm-hmm. child has. And we all see it on television every day. You know, we see it in the forefront in the news where this has happened to someone. Yeah, and that's only, a, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And, right. It's yeah. only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I, I could see myself being an advocate for, for children. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you, Gil. We have uh, lots to cover. We're only, I don't know. To a third of the way of the book, uh, maybe maybe halfway, right? I think about halfway. Maybe halfway. So uh, you've got to tell everybody, the listeners, because I love this story about actually going to the Culinary Institute and um, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, get on the was it the train or the whatever it was you took yep. to? I drove. You I drove. drove oh, yeah, yeah, with your little red car. Yeah, yeah, my little red car. And um, arrived there, and how long did it take you to feel like the fish out of water? Oh, about uh, an hour. <laughs> I was just shell-shocked and culture-shocked when I arrived at the at the Culinary Institute of America the first time. And I think I was there for about a week and a half when I hightailed it back to Mississippi because it just was so big and overwhelming. And I didn't have – it just was at the time – which is so unusual because I don't – there's not many things I can say in my life that I've quit and turned around and gone home. Um, well, you didn't quite do that. I didn't. Well, I did a follow-up. But that's the follow-up yeah. part because the moral of the story is, is that even if you quit the first time, it doesn't mean it's over. You can always brush yourself off. Strategic retreat? Yes. Make a, exactly. And you can always dust yourself off and come back. And, and try again. And when I think when you're passionate about something and when you have a dream, okay, it took twice, it took two times. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you go after it and don't give up. And I didn't. I went home. I took their advice. I got a year of really solid, solid experience, seasoned, if you will, under my belt. and So to speak. So to speak. <laughs> and wrote, called them and begged to get put back in again and and, and says you re-enroll. wrote a, a very nice letter and they were appreciative of that. They were and and uh, let them know I'd gotten a year of experience. I was ready to come back and really do it, and I did. 
drove across country again. But this time I had my long-term girlfriend with me for support who I'd been with um, for eight years, almost eight years. And, uh, and I went back and I graduated with honors right. and I got involved in everything. I was vice president of Epicures of Wine. I was in the gourmet society. I wrote a, a school cookbook while I was there. I just, <laughs> I did everything. I mean, I just embraced it on all levels and just open arms. And I said, this time I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. And I did. Good. And that's, that's the moral out there. And then guess what happens? Julia Child appears again. Julia Child appears again. I had a very, very dear friend who was um, a wonderful, just great colleague with me during, during the school years. And she got it. She uh, enrolled for a scholarship for this scholarship to see, to meet Julia. Mm-hmm. And she got it. And she said, she came to me one day and she said, I can't think of anyone who would appreciate this more. Will you go with me? I get to take a plus one. And I just, I just, I didn't even say yes. I just started jumping up and down. <laughs> I went kind of bananas <laughs> for a while. Right. Took me some time to kind of come back to earth. And uh, I said, yes. Oh my God. You know? And so it was awesome. And we went and we went to her house in Cambridge, which is now – her kitchen is in the Smithsonian Institute. Right, yes. And we watched her film. We got to spend the whole day with her watching her film, the MasterChef series. And actually Rick Bayless, who was an up-and-coming chef at the time. I think it's funny a, I th- that, that he was there that He was there time, that time. Yeah. And uh, we had lunch with her. We took pictures with her. I was able to tell her that two and a half years ago, you – Gave me the direction. You you were so gracious. You sat me down in Natchez, Mississippi at a book signing. You spent all this time with me, and you gave me this great advice to go to the Culinary Institute of America. And now I'm graduating in two weeks, and I'm going to be going to France and cooking for two three-star Michelin chefs. And I got – it was a full circle moment. It was just one of those full circle moments that are so rare in life, but it was 360 degrees. And, you know, it's interesting because – of meeting her and then meeting her again and being able to tell her that I, that I took her advice and I did, you know, I went to the Culinary Institute of America and, and then to see her then move to Santa Barbara where I now live, right. where she lived out her final days. Yeah. Real uh, interesting parallels. Absolutely. And she was really a mentor before uh, you met her. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if I think of one professional mentor, I had many, but... Just uh, one professional mentor, that would be Julia. Well, we obviously have lots to cover. We haven't even gotten to Iron Chef yet. And that story, <laughs> I, want, I want people to pick up the book, Cooking as Fast as I Can, The Chef's Story of Family, Food, and Forgiveness, and read how Cat Cora conquered the potato. The potato. <laughs> on her first uh, entry into uh, Iron Chef. But it wasn't the potato that got her. It was the dry ice fog that made everything <laughs> so you couldn't see it. It is a wonderful, wonderful uh, piece to read in her book, which is filled with lots of humor, lots of insight, and lots of uh, open soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. I kind of split open my soul and let it all out, which was very cathartic for me. I feel like it's a part, you know, it's just a, it, it's, it, I think, Going through missteps, mistakes, you know, adversity, but also really wonderful successes um, is just what makes us, you know, it it expands us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to put that on paper and just really like crack open, you know, and and let it all out has been such a and, and then to find out 
even by sitting here with you, find out, you know, what's coming, what's kind of the fruition that's coming out of that, what's flowing out of that, you yeah. know, and, and, uh, what's to come. Well, I'm going to have you do something. On the front of her book is a picture of Kat. How old are you in this? About five. five About five years old. And she's working in some great big, uh, looks like a sieve or something, looking very intent. But I'd like you to read your uh, dedication in the front of the book. Oh, boy. Okay? You what, make that me was... cry, Gil, again. Yeah, I've I'm only sorry. cried about three times, but that's okay. Yeah, but I like your, last, okay. I like your last paragraph. Yeah, that's that's a good one. All right, am I reading the whole thing? Please do. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. You can stop in between. To my extraordinary wife, Jennifer, our fearless leader, thank you for your patience over the years as I've learned to trust again. Oof. Gil's got me crying here, everybody. My love for you is infinite, and I'm forever grateful to your, for your strength, wisdom, courage, and grace. To my iron boy, Zorin Cage Thatcher Nash, for whom my love is endless, you bring an abundance of riches to my life every day. Dream with your eyes wide open and your soul's free. This is where it's going to get me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> is everybody crying? Okay, yeah, everybody in the rain's crying. Will okay. Be. And to little Kathy Cora, my younger self, forgive sooner so you can live in love with abandon. Be the best friend you can be to yourself. And last, enjoy the journey. I promise it turns out pretty sweet after all. Cat Cora, thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to a very intimate conversation on family, food, and forgiveness with America's first and only female Iron Chef, Cat Cora, on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. As you heard during today's show, Cat Cora's career as a celebrity chef took off when she won first place in a cooking contest judged by the legendary New Orleans chef Paul Prudhomme. We are saddened to report that Prudhomme passed away Thursday night at the age of 75. Our studio engineer for today is Jesse Van Cushen. Our KRCB program manager is Sean Knight. Our station coordinator is Wendy Nicholson. Our theme music by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Manser. We would like to invite you to hear KRCB's next word-by-word broadcast from 4 to 5 on Sunday afternoon, November 14th, when our guest will be the award-winning American-born author Elizabeth George, whose new book, A Banquet of Consequences, is the latest in the best-selling mystery series featuring Scotland Yard Detective Inspector Thomas Lindley and his partner, Detective Sergeant Barbara Havers. Be sure to tune in. I'll leave you with how Cat Cora ends her book, Cooking As Fast As I Can. What's on the menu? Oh, I think you know. My kapama still and always my favorite dish. I pat the chicken dry with paper towels, mix the cinnamon, salt, and pepper in a bowl, and rub the chicken on it on all sides. Mince some garlic, heat up the olive oil. I put my head down and, as the Greeks say, siga, siga, slowly, slowly, I begin to cook.